with my soul, with my soul, it is well. Bless that wonderful name for paying the price so that it can be well with our soul. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. And I would like for you to rest your eyes with me on verse 5. If you have it, say amen. amen. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that you're doing. May we ever be reminded that our souls are kept by the power of God. And now, O oh God, may your spirit fill this place in a new way so that we will sense your presence as never before. For every day with the Lord is a new day, a new opportunity to be drawn even closer. Will you say, Lord, if we draw near unto you, you will draw nigh unto us. And each day we are drawn near to you, we learn that you're sweeter than the day before. And now, O oh God, afresh, move by your spirit, anoint us transform us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. 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 We thank you. We thank you. We praise you. I wanted to also mention that your pastor prepares uh, very, very diligently to prepare meals every Wednesday night. Uh, and uh, we want to be a church of new direction. So we do want to be committed to even encouraging the pastor and saying, I can't make it. I'm somewhere in heaven. I've been raptured. <laughs> Amen. Don't tell me that because uh, then I got a problem. But in any case, we do thank you for all that God is, is doing in your life. I once heard a story about a woman who lived in Wells in a remote valley and I learned that Wales is a part of the United Kingdom in Europe. She was um, unable to access electricity because of where she was located. And um, so she decided to go through much difficulty and expense to have electricity placed in her home that she might have access to the power that it brings. And thinking that there might be a problem with the hookup because of such small usage, uh, the electric company sent a meter person to go out to this remote home in the valley to read the meter because this woman, though she had paid great, great amounts of money, and it was a very arduous, difficult task to install the electrical uh, uh, instrumentality in the house. Uh, she was still only using very little electricity. And so the question was asked by the uh, meter man, 
is there a problem? Uh, we noticed that you're not using your electricity, even though um, you have it available. She said, oh, no problem. Everything's fine. Uh, I, wouldn't, I couldn't be happier. She says, we turn it on every night so that we can see our lamps to light them up in order for us to see. She believed in electricity. She had a access to electricity, but she did not understand the full benefit of electricity. Therefore, the potential that her electrical appliances that were available to her could have been a blessing in her life, they were not because she didn't use the power that was available to her. Unfortunately, there are too many Christians who use prayer in the same way. We believe in prayer. We know the promises that God has made that are associated with people that pray. Call and I will answer. Even before you ask, I've already answered. Uh, call upon me, I'll show you. We know all of that, and yet we treat prayer like a spare tire in the back of our trunks, only using it when we got a flat and hoping that it works. Many Christians don't understand the power of persistent prayer. But in order to be a second mile Christian above and beyond, the Christian that goes the extra step the extra, to that extra place in God, as he's commanded in the word that if somebody requires that you go one mile, you go the extra mile. Christians do the extraordinary. Christians are yielded to the spirit of God, and we have as our motivating factor for the things that we do is that we want to honor and glorify God in all that we do. So we are servants. We are servants. We go the extra mile. And so in order to go the extra mile, the second mile Christian has to learn how to push. Say push. push. You have to learn how to... Push. Christians have to learn how to... Push. Amen, amen, amen. Now, the acronym PUSH comes from the abbreviated words or letters, P-U-S-H, which means to pray until something happens. Second-mile Christians don't just take a haphazard approach to prayer. We pray. We pray until something happens. We push. In Acts chapter 12, we discover what can happen when believers push Repeat these four words with me. Pressure. pressure. Oh, you don't believe it. Say pressure. pressure. Pain. Pain. Power. Power. Proclamation. Proclamation. When these four things are in action in the lives of the Christians who are available to God to go to the point of being exhausted in our love and commitment to him that is expressed and how we serve others, we're going to experience these four words that I just made reference to. Pressure. Pressure will drive you to your knees. Pressure will drive you to your knees. Some of us don't pray because we don't understand that the reason God is allowing the pressure in our lives is that he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to bring us to the place where we recognize that we can't hold this thing down 
We are, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. In our flesh, it is impossible to please God. We must be totally yielded to him. And when we are surrendered and yielded to his strength, the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthened us because nothing shall be impossible with God. Pressure will drive you to your knees. In verses 1 through 5, we read now, About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's pressure. Now, we're going to notice four things that caused pressure for the believers that ultimately caused them to be driven to their knees, brought them to the place where they recognized that they needed to push. They needed to push. There was inward pressure from within the church. The Bible says, and when Peter came to Jerusalem in verse, uh, 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 going back to chapter 11, in verse, uh, uh, in verse 3 and 4, um, let's go back to verse 2. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, say Jerusalem. Those who were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and, and, and ate with them. And, but Peter explained it to them in order that from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa. And so he begins to explain what God has done in Acts chapter 12. But notice it says that those of the circumcision, these were the traditionalists, these were the Jews who had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were genuinely born again. They were saved, but they were still holding to, you have to worship on the Sabbath. You, you have to be circumcised. So the, we would say today that these were, these were legalistic Christians, and Peter had gone to Gentiles, and the Gentiles had gotten saved and for the first time at, in the beginning of the church era. And so, this, so there was a problem, and the problem was with other Christians. It was within the church. And so the contention says some contended with Peter. There was a problem within the church. It was inward trouble. Now, something uh, uh, really unique about fighting with Christians, the Bible talks about that, beware that we become like dogs, that instead of sharing the word of God as we are equipped to go into the world after we have heard the word of God, so that we might uh, be equipped to do the work of the ministry. What happens when we don't do the work of the ministry, we turn on each other. Instead of healing our wounded, we kill our wounded. And so the scripture says they contended with Peter. God had worked through Peter, but the, 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 the traditionalists had a problem with what God was doing. They didn't understand it. And so there was a problem in the church. Peter had a problem. It's nothing like coming to church and having to deal with stress, having to deal with pressure, having to feel unwelcomed in your church. Church shouldn't hurt. How many of you know that church shouldn't hurt? There's so many people that I meet in the community, and I ask them, where do you go to church? I don't go to church anywhere. And then they begin to tell you their story. Well, I got wounded. Somebody said. Somebody did. They didn't include. They didn't. They, so this is ongoing testimony now of so many people that formerly were actively involved in ministry but because of contention. And so pressure can come from inward, uh, 
pressure or inward stress. These were members of the church that were contending with Peter. How many of you know that sometimes Christians don't always agree? We don't have to agree, but we have to be, according to the word of God, agreeable. We don't get to operate in our flesh. Let me tell you a piece of my mind. No, it's not about a piece of your mind. It's about, Lord, I want to glorify you even if. And so there was contention. There was pressure in the church. That can make you want to stay home. <laughs> I can stay home and be miserable. I can stay home and not be spoken to. I can stay home. It's amazing the things that we allow the devil to use to keep us away from the church. But sometimes the problem, the stress, is real. It's within the church. So it's not unusual that imperfect people are not going to always agree. So don't stay away from the church. Don't stay away from the table. Don't stay away from your blessing because ultimately each one of us is going to give an account for himself. And God has said in his word, do not forsake the assembling together of, uh, of yourselves. Don't stop coming to church as some have, but coming that you might be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord as the evil day. How many know we're living in evil times? And so there was inward pressure within the church. Then there was outward pressure. The Bible talks about this in, later on in, in Acts chapter 11. He says, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled to Phoenicia and Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word of God, one, uh, preaching the word of God to no one but the Jews only. How about the fact that now not only was there pressure within the church, now there's pressure outside of the church. You're being persecuted. I want you to understand that persecution shouldn't take you by surprise by people who don't know the Lord. But often the problem that, that causes us to, feed, to be persecuted is not that people don't claim to know the Lord. Religious people hate righteousness. And so when, when, when the church, uh, going back to Acts chapter 7, when, Pete, when Stephen was stoned, there became an, uh, an aggressive attack on the church. Whenever you take a stand for the Lord, the enemy is going to come against you. Jesus said, while you are in the world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. The problem with us is we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want nobody to dislike us. We don't want to be left out. But Jesus, the word of God says, be not conformed to this world, but what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How can two walk together unless they agree? We need to stand against that which is evil. The scripture says, come out from among them and be ye, what? Separate. When you take a stand against what is evil, what is not politically correct, but what is biblically sound, the world is going to come against you. And so not only were there inward pressure coming to church and folks contending with you, there was outward pressure, there was persecution on you in this time because you took a stand for Jesus. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And then there was upward pressure. The Bible talks about this uh, 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 at the end of the chapter where, where it makes reference to prophets who were from uh, Jerusalem. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened in the days of uh, Claudius Caesar. That's Acts chapter 11, verse 28. Sometimes the pressure is not from other Christians, not from people outside of the church because of your faith, but sometimes the pressure is upward. God declared that there was going to be a famine, and he revealed it to the prophets to tell the church, but that didn't mean that the famine was going to somehow make Christians exempt. 
Sometimes when the economy is bad, it's going to be bad for everybody. But David said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God never said we wouldn't have trouble. In fact, he said, count it all joy when you, when you experience diverse testing for the testing of your faith. What? Work is patience, but let patience have a word. Perfect word. God didn't say we wouldn't have trouble. He said, I'm telling you, I'm announcing that a famine is coming because the sun and the, the, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. So I'm not exempt from sickness. I'm not exempt from trouble. But I have a God who is in control of every circumstance in my life because he causes all things, not some things, to work together. So even in the famine, I can look for a raven. Even in the famine, God will send me a widow. Even even in the famine, God will take two fish and five loaves and he'll feed his own. And so some of what you're going through that you're rebuking the devil for and, and, and putting and declaring and decreeing is from God. God said that there was going to be a famine, that the rain was not going to fall. That was an upward pressure source. What we need to do is line up with the will of God. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed three times, Lord, if it be possible, this famine that I'm about to face, this cross that is before me, this suffering that is going to separate me from you, if it be possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, I'll go through the rain. I'll go through the drought. I'll go through the famine. I'll go through the darkness in order to accomplish your will. Because my confidence is this, that even in the midst of my storm, if I ask anything according to his will, that which he will do, the Bible said he'll do it. He'll do it. Somebody said he'll, he'll do it. And so there was inward pressure. There was outward pressure, persecution for the faith of the believers. There was upward pressure. And then the hardest pressure of all, there was personal pressure. Peter was therefore kept in prison, going back to verse 5, but constant prayer, say constant prayer, was offered to God for him by the church. This was an all-night thing, constant prayer. This was an all-week thing, constant, persistent prayer. The church got the pushing, got the pushing, and you're going to keep on praying until something happen. I don't know about your circumstance. I don't know if your pressure is from the church or if your pressure is from your being persecuted by your job, your boss, your neighbors. I don't know what it might be, but if you find yourself pushing, you need to keep on pushing until something happens. The hardest pressure to deal with is personal pressure. Because now it's not, you don't leave that at church. You can go home and, and, and enjoy your family. You can leave your job and shut that out of your mind. You can even know that God is going to bring a famine, but you're aware that his promises are true and his word is yes and amen. But when it moves to your house, this was their pastor. Peter was in jail. James, the brother of John, had already been executed. And I want you to understand something. When James, the brother of John, one of the original 12 apostles, was executed, you read nothing in the Bible where the church prayed. They didn't pray for it. Not that they didn't love John. They didn't love James, I'm sorry. But sometimes you can be, you can be off of your spiritual post. 
Sometimes you can think things are not as bad as they really are. Sometimes we forget that we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. and spir- This is spiritual warfare. And you read nothing about the church lifting up James when he was taken, when, when Herod stretched out his arm. I want you to know that the enemy is stretching out his arm. And we may have a little reprieve in terms of the Christian church, uh, quote-unquote evangelicals under uh, our current president, Donald Trump. We can sing some Christmas songs again. We can walk around in our Bibles and even have prayer in some schools. But there's coming a day the church is going to pay for this. But guess what? God never hired somebody in the White House to do what we should be doing in the community. We, he said, my church, my church should be reaching the world. And when we go into the world, we will find ourselves being resisted. And no president, no government is going to protect us from that persecution. And so now this personal pressure has moved into the house. It's Peter. It's your job that's on the line. It's your son that's not coming home at night. You, you, you found drug paraphernalia on your daughter. It's your child that's engaging in premarital sex, and you didn't treat her that you didn't train that way. It's your teenagers who are now saying, you may go to church, but I ain't going to church. It, 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 it's, it's, it's your marriage that's in turmoil, and, and so it, it, this is personal. It, yeah, it was okay. It was bad when it was at the church. It was bad when I was being persecuted outside the church because of my faith, and even the family. But now this thing is at home. My cousin died. My uncle died. My finances are being attacked. My body is sick. The doctor just gave me that die, and now that's personal. I want you to know personal pressure will push you to your knees. It'll push you to your knees. We don't have a hard time coming to church when personal pressure is hot. When God turns up the heat through personal pressure. Unfortunately, too many of us are looking for a flowery bed of ease. We're too, we're too concentrating on, I just want to be comfortable. I'm tired. We, we, done, we done brought the model for McDonald's. You deserve, you deserve a break today, tomorrow, and next week. And so this pressure now is personal. It's personal. Trouble has moved into the church, moved from the world. Notice that in in the midst of this constant pressure that the church prayed. That's when we need to get together. And we're going to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. When it's one thing for you to pray for yourself, but it's a whole other thing when you ask somebody to pray. We tell people all the time, I'll pray for you. Do you really mean that? You don't have to wait to pray for somebody. You can pray for them right then and there. You can pray for them over the telephone. You can grab their hands. You don't have to be praying, Jesus. You don't have to go through all of that. God can hear a quiet prayer as well as a loud prayer. Now, how they responded reveals a second thing that leads to a second-mile Christian pushing. It starts with pressure. Pressure leads to pain. Pressure pushes you to your knees. Pain keeps you on your knees. It'll keep you on your knees. Have you ever been hit in the stomach by surprise? You know, somebody come walk hit me at my stomach because it's so rock solid. Ain't nothing going to happen. I, I just, <laughs> I remember my stepfather. He had such a rock solid stomach. And uh, he kept telling me, I, he said, you can punch him in my stomach or how you want. I was hitting him in my stomach. I must have hit him about 15 times. Boom. I'm going down to my ankle. Boom. And he just smiled. He was just smiling. And then I, this is being young, I said, can I punch you in your nose? 
And he was feeling pretty good. He said, yeah. I punched him in his nose, and he saw stars. <laughs> yeah, he thought he was back in Vietnam. He lost his mind. He went after me. I had to crawl out of the room. I mean, he was trying to kill me. He forgot I was a child. But pain, isn't that funny? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we would simply obey the word of God? The Bible said we should pray without ceasing. If we pray without ceasing, we won't faint. Where there's much prayer, there's much power. Where there's little prayer, there's little power. But we, it don't work like that. It's like unless, and the, the pressure, God gives us pressure to get our, the, to, 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 to put us on our knees. But we don't stay there without pain. Some of my, my, my deepest prayers, my crying out to God, has been in my hour of greatest pain when you felt forsaken, when you felt abandoned, when people have hurt you, when you've made dumb mistakes and nobody wants to deal with you, and it was all your fault, and the only person that you can talk to is God, and you just cry out. Sometimes you don't even have words to say. The Bible says, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that can be not, cannot be uttered. There are times you can't even say, no, all you can do is moan. I want you to understand in that hour of need, when, when pressure has brought pain and it's keeping you on your knees that God is hearing you. He is listening to you. And the Bible says that he hears the prayers of the righteous and he delivers us out of all of our trouble. Somebody know what I'm talking about. When you cried out to him out of an earnest heart because the fervent effectual prayers, the sincere, I mean when you're really hurting, when you're really in pain, when you're really struggling, when you don't care how you look, you don't care how it sounds, the word might not be right. The intonation might not be right. People might not be saying amen. All you know is help! Help, oh God! Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass the church. He'd already killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and he saw that the Jews enjoyed it so he proceeded, and he sees Peter. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him with four squads, sixteen soldiers. They were there was a there was a shift of us uh, uh, six hours. Four soldiers watched Peter at all times. Two two of them slept with Peter. Or not they were sleeping near Peter, and he had shackles on his ankles. They were determined. Because Peter had been arrested two other times, and every other time, God had delivered him. And it's really interesting that even though Peter was arrested and Herod intended to kill Peter the next day, the Bible said he was sleeping. Now, how are you going to sleep and you're on death row and you know the, con the clock is winding down? I want you to know that the Lord will give you perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. And it's really true that no weapon that is formed against you, it won't prosper. And even when you go through the fire, the Bible says you won't be burned because what God does, he raises up a standard against that which is evil. And so here is Peter surrounded by guards. There's no way out. He's going to die. Herod has decreed. The sentence has been set. There's nothing that man can do to change this circumstance. There's no dream team of lawyers. There's no money that's going to persuade Herod. There's no way that Herod is anybody's going to go against his decree. Now watch this. Pressure gets our attention. 
Remember that. It gets us on our knees. You're driving in the car, and every time the weather changes, when it starts to get cold, you get that light, that light if you, you have a car like this. <clears throat> hey, man, if you have a car like this, the light comes on. Brother Tim, take my word for it. A light comes on in the car, and it'll say, pressure low. And it'll tell you what tire the pressure is low in. Now, you can ignore the pressure light. And you, you can keep on getting around to putting air in the tire. But if you don't take the time to respond, because pressure what? It gets our attention. If you don't pay attention to the pressure, the next thing you know, you're trying to go to work. And then you got some pain. You got a flat tire. Failure to respond to the pressure that God's allowing in your life. The things that you're blaming your wife for, the things that you're blaming your husband for, your boss, if they would just get off your back, if they would just leave me alone, I'd get it together. Whatever you, that pressure is God's way of saying, turn your attention to me. Let me work through you. Turn, get this thing. Come on now, cast your cares on me because I care. I care. Pain is our admission. Lord, I need help. If you're not a praying person, and this is so convicting because I can't stand up here and tell you that my prayer life is all that it ought to be. I can tell you that every single morning, a sister named Virginia Benson is on the phone with Sister Letha about 6 o'clock in the morning or maybe even earlier, and they're calling on God. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'm calling on that next Z. <laughs> you know, yeah, I like it. Fourth rim, fifth rim sleeping. I, I want to stand up here and tell you I'm this great prayer warrior, and every time something happens and I'm in constant prayer, I would be lying to you. That's an area of conviction for me. Because what I've learned is that prayer works and that God answers prayers. He does. Some of you are a living witness that God has, you've asked somebody to pray for you at this church, and he's answered your prayers. Prayer gets God's attention. So while, while pain is our mission for help, prayer gets God's attention. There are things in our life that will keep you in bondage until you push. It's not enough to feel pain and to respond to the pressure. You must push. The devil wanted to kill Peter. It was an intention to destroy Peter. But if they had, the church hadn't responded to the pain and cried out to God, Peter would have died. I want you to understand that prayer works. It changes. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of God, and he turns it like rivers of water. He does it through our prayers. Prayer is powerful. Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, and then he said he prayed again, and the rain came again. Prayer is powerful. Prayer gets God's attention. Prayer can do anything that God can do. The devil wants to destroy your family. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the only thing that prevents him from having full access to your family, I know you thought it was your education, and you gave a couple nickels to church, and people say you got a beautiful smile, and everybody like you at work. But no, somebody's been praying for you. Prayer keeps a hedge of God's divine protection around you. 
when it comes to prayer, we need to be like this three-year-old child. His mother was taking him to the grocery store, and she stopped him before they got in. She said, listen, you cannot and I will not give you any chocolate chip cookies, so don't even ask. Do you understand? Yes, Mommy, I understand. Boy's doing fine. He's sitting in the cart in a special seat for little small children, and they cool, and then they get to the aisle with the chocolate chip cookies. And guess what he does? He stands up in the chair. Mommy, can I have some chocolate chip? She said, didn't I tell you before you came in the store that you're not getting a chocolate? I also told you not to even ask. So he's fine. He sat down. And then for one reason or another, whatever his mother was searching for, she couldn't find it. They ended up on that row again with the chocolate chip cookies. So this little three-year-old said, Mommy, Mommy. I said, I know before you. Yeah. She said, can I have some chocolate chip? He said, she said, boy, if I tell you, you can't have any chocolate chip cookies. I'm going to hurt you. That must have been a black sister. She had to be. <laughs> now I'm going to hurt you, boy. So he sat down. He was calm. And then they got near the checkout line. He realized this was his last opportunity if there were going to be any chocolate chip cookies today. So he stood up in the chair in his loudest voice. He said, in the name of Jesus, Mommy, can I please have some chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> and everybody that was in the, that area, they stopped, they stared, and they laughed. And before they left, they had 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. There's something about that name. There's something about that name. Something about the name of Jesus that causes demons to tremble. Jesus said, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, but if you ask in my name, anything of the Father, he will do it. He will do it. He will do it. I ain't praying for no chocolate chip cookie. Do I look like I need some chocolate chip cookie? Don't say anything about it. Don't answer that. But I do want the sweetness of God's blessing on my marriage. I want the sweetness of God's blessing on my children. I want the sweetness of God's blessing on my finances. I want the sweetness of God's blessing on my health, on my family's health. I want God to move in the midst of his people. And so I cry out in my pain for God to do something in the name of Jesus. Pain will keep you on your knees. Pressure will put you on your knees. Power release is released when we push. When you pray until something happens, power is released. You can't get that thing. You have you know, the first, I have a, a lawnmower that I didn't even use last year. I had my grass was cut for me. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but I like to cut the grass. You know, I do, I do. But in order to get the, the mower to work, you gotta prime that thing. You know, you got to prime it. And I don't care how much gas it has, and the spark plugs may be working, the thing may be imperfect. If you don't prime it, it ain't, it's not going to come on. You're not cutting a, you're not going to cut a strand of grass. 
I want you to know the primer that releases all of heaven's power is prayer. Power is released when we pray. I want you to see three miracles that are accomplished when the church pushed. Prayer sets the captives free. Peter was sleeping, not worrying about a thing. And the Bible says that an angel had to wake him up. That boy was sleeping so hard. The angel, the Bible said, the angel struck him. And even though the angel struck him, he was so out of it and comfortable that he, out of everything, the, the shackles came off. He was led through the four guards, two separate uh, uh, gates that were, two separate uh, doors that were locked in the prison, left out of the courtyard, and still the sleep hadn't yet come out. He thought it was a vision. He didn't know what was happening. But now here he is standing by himself. The angel was gone. And then it dawned on Peter, this is a miracle. Prayer, he didn't know that behind the scenes, that, that, that now the, the angel set Peter free, but prayer sent the angel to Peter. The angel would not have been discharged from heaven if the church hadn't been praying. Prayer set captives free. It's interesting. When Jesus talked about why he had come, he stood up in the tabernacle, in, in the temple, and he said, uh, he read from the book of Isaiah. He said, I've come to set the captives free and set the prisoners free. I never kind of, what's the difference between a captive and a prisoner? And what was deep about that is what's captured, what has captured you is what puts you in prison. So when he's talking about the captives, he's talking about those who are demonically possessed, those who are tormented in their thoughts, those who can't get over them, who will not turn from their, their evil thinking and bad habits. That you, they, He's talking about strongholds and, and bondage and, and generational curses. He said, I have come to set the captives free. Those who are in bondage, you ain't never spent a day in jail, but you in jail. In your thoughts, in your behavior, in your habits, you are, and he said, I've come. I want you to know that some things that you are captured by is not going to be, you will never be free until somebody, and you included, have prayed and fasted. Because the devil has you in his grip. You are in bondage. There is a spiritual stronghold in your life. And whenever the devil wants to take control, he just shakes the chain. And like a, like a weak, beaten down, submitted, submissive prisoner, you simply surrender. I want you to understand when there's a stronghold in your life, prayer is what will release you. But in order to pray in such a way that you're praying until something happens, you have to be humble. Prayer sets captives free. Are you struggling with thoughts of, are you struggling with unforgiveness? Are you dealing with guilt and shame? Are you struggling with things that have happened to you? Whatever it may have been, post-traumatic syndrome, uh, anxiety, whatever it may be, the Bible clearly shows us that if somebody is praying for you and you keep on talking to God, he will give you his peace that passes all understanding. That's for you. I don't care what medication you take it, it may or may not work, but I do know a doctor named Jesus. And when we go to him, he says, in all things, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto him. And he said, guess what I'm going to give you? My peace. Prayer enables God to exceed 
our limited expectations. Oh, listen to me. We pray. We don't expect God to do what we're praying. Let me tell you why. When Peter arrived at the house where they'd been praying for him, and, and, uh, and I, 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 I want to read that. Are you, are you with me? Stay with me here. But when, uh, look, look with me, and Peter knocked at the door, verse 13. See that? That's in your Bible. Of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda, say Rhoda. Rhoda. Oh, some of you said it, but that's all right, that's all right. Came in to answer when she recognized Peter's voice. Because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said, you are be you crazy. She, yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is, it is, it is his angel. Now, now Peter continued to knock, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. They didn't believe that he was going to actually be saved, but they were supposed, sometimes we're supposed to pray. Well, we don't expect God to answer. I've said, we supposed, I'm asking for a $100,000 check today. Yeah, I didn't forget, God didn't forget me. I said that on Wednesday. I'm expecting somebody to write a check for $100,000 because I saw a property that we could have and we in a perfect location. And, you know, if it's got, it's going to happen. Now, I don't know yet. I ain't got the news yet, but here's my point. Here's my point. Prayer enables God to exceed our limited expectations in spite of where their faith was weak in spite of what they actually expected to happen. Why were they astonished that God did what he said he can do? What do you expect God to do in your situation? I'm so glad that, we, that, that Peter, that, that when they recognized what he was like, Paul says, now, to, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask according to the power that works in us. To him, he's able beyond what you can even comprehend, beyond your prayer list, beyond what you expect God to do, beyond what he always goes above and beyond. We have a second mile God, the kind of God that gives us windows of blessing that are overflowing. Prayer enables God to exceed our limited expectations. In their wildest dreams, they didn't believe that Peter was really free. If you look back over your life in your wildest dreams, you wouldn't believe that you are here and who you are today. If it had not been for somebody lifting you up to God and praying for you. Prayer enables God to exceed our limited expectations. They prayed for Peter to be released, but they didn't really expect it to happen. Here's the last thing about prayer regarding the power that was released. This is the miracle. Prayer, they, had, they discovered something. Prayer is a weapon for spiritual warfare that activates the power of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, our weapons of, it says that our weapons of warfare, for the weapons of our warfare are not what? Carnal, but they're powerful, or they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer is a weapon. When you read about the spiritual arsenal in, in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 10, going through verse 23, he talks about the helmet of uh, faith and et cetera, and going through that list. And he says, and the last thing that he tells us to activate all of our equipment is prayer. 
He says, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, pushing, with all pushing and supplication for all the saints. Prayer is a weapon. Let me show you how it's a weapon. You know the guards that were assigned to watch Peter? Guess what happened to them? When Herod found out that Peter had escaped again, he ordered that they be executed. I want you to know that your enemies are in trouble when you pray. When people come against God's children and you pray, they didn't pray for these men to die. But it's messed, when you mess with God's anointed, when you mess with somebody's that on God's assignment, you, you, you become on God's most wanted list. These soldiers actually lost their lives because of their connection to Peter and Peter's connection to the church that was pushing. I want you to know when you're pushing, when you're praying until something happens, all kinds of people are going to be impacted by your prayers. It even could cause some folks to check out early. In verse 23, the person that gave the orders for Peter to be arrested and executed ended up dead. Herod the king, great Herod, go arrest him, and by this time tomorrow you'll be dead. Listen to this in verse 23. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him. The same angel, I wouldn't be surprised, the same angel that tapped Peter and woke him up, now he's at Herod's door, and he struck him, the Bible says, because he did not glorify God. He did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Sometimes we want the death certificate. You ain't going to read no death certificate that said that he was eaten by worms. You ain't going to see no death certificate that said God killed him because they don't associate sometimes the consequences in people's lives are the result of the church pushing. You pushed, and that enemy that couldn't let you get that promotion, that enemy that tried to destroy your marriage, that enemy that kept coming against you, you just kept praying. You pray for those who hate you and despitefully you. You just kept praying, and the next thing you know, they're not there anymore. The next thing you know, God has replaced them. I want you to understand it's not an accident it, because the prayers of the righteous have great effect with God. Prayer is your weapon. You're trying to set people straight. You got, you're going to tell them, no, no, no. You tell God. You tell God. There's some things that are never going to change in your life and the lives of others until you push. Here's the last thing, and we're done. Pressure puts us on our knees. Pain keeps us on our knees. Power is released. When we push, proclamation occurs when we pray until something. Hey, look at verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. What happens when you start praying, all of a sudden you got a testimony. Look what God did for Peter. Can you imagine? As you're praying, the prayer keeps you excited, keeps you with on fire because God is answering your prayers. And so when you give a testimony, you ain't talking about what God did 10 years ago. You're talking about what God did to you yesterday and today. Prayer will keep you with a fresh testimony. And your fresh testimony will become your witness to the lost who will want to know the reason of the hope that is within you. And then you get to tell them about Jesus and folks get saved. I want you to know when the church pushes, people get saved. 
First Timothy 2, verses 2 4 says, And this is pleasing to God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to an understanding of the truth. He's, in that context, he says, you should pray for every. As we are praying, what happens is prayer turns the pages of salvation history. There's some folks whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but until you pray, you don't see that name appear because they appear after they get saved, but they don't get saved if you don't pray. The pages turn when you pray. It's well-pleasing to God when you pray. Proclamation occurs when we push. Power is released when we push. Your pain, you may not want it, but it's keeping you on your knees. The pressure has put you on your knees. And what God is doing in the, in the spiritual realm is he's working out all things for your good. You don't see it now. If Herod had seen what was coming, he would have left Peter alone. I'm always amazed. See, we lived in Niagara Falls, New York for eight years. It snowed every other day, it seemed like. On Mother's Day, it snowed. We had this big old expedition with four-wheel drive. And uh, maybe I was being a little overly confident when I said I never get stuck in the snow. Anybody ever get stuck in the snow in their car? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some people, I ain't driving in the snow, so I'll never get stuck. Well, I've been stuck in a car with a four-wheel drive in an expedition. Full tank of gas, the engine running, car working in perfect condition, but here you are, stuck. Now, you got a decision to make. You can stay in your warm car until all the gas runs out. Now, you got a dual problem. You're stuck in the snow, and you're cold. And in Niagara Falls, you don't want to get stuck in the snow and cold because you could die. They come and find you as an icicle. Or you could get out of the car. This is before cell phones. Now, you got the, you got, I've never seen anybody literally successfully push their car while trying to steer their car. Can you imagine trying to push an expedition and, and, and steer it at the same time? No, no. You need some help. I don't know how many times when I've gotten stuck in the snow and I'm, I got my, my, sig- my flashers on and, and, and I'm waving and people drive by. And then every now and again, now you need more than one person to push an expedition because somebody's got to steer it and the other. So, but the more people you got pushing, ugh, the more people you got, come on, push with me, mother. Come here, come on. Come on, brother Greg, come on. Well, the more people you got, just to see, see this expedition, come on. The more you got pushing, the more you got pushing, guess what's going to happen? You're going to come out of that snow. You're going to come out of your pain. You're going to come out of your confusion. You're going to come out of your defeat. You're going to come out because the more people push, the more God is going to respond when the church comes together and we pray until something happens. Something's going to happen. If we keep on, keep on pushing. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you.